Well, hello, it's uh, Michelangelo Caruso. I'm here with Randy Pennington today. How are you, Randy? I'm well, Michael. Good, good to see you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, sir. I've heard so many good things about you from our mutual friends, and uh, I was delighted to do a little bit of research on you and, and find out some amazing things. You've had three really strong books, including the most recently, Make Change Work. You're an expert in change. Is that correct? Well, one of the things, I focus most of my time, Michael, in the areas of uh, culture, transformation, and change. So that's, it's all around how leaders drive the culture, how they drive change in their business, and how they transform themselves. I love it. I love it. You know, it's interesting, Randy, when we talk about culture transformation, we talk about it as if it's a, uh, an, in, an event or an incident. It has a beginning and an ending date, but it's ongoing, isn't it, in the best cultures? Well, it is ongoing. I mean, I, I, as you said that, I'm thinking uh, one of my very best clients, Michael, I've worked with now for 16 years straight. And we continue, we continue to tweak everything that, we, that we've done. And so things that we started 15, 16 years ago, now we're redoing uh, and updating and refreshing and bringing a next generation of leaders in. And you're exactly right. The, the best cultures never let this die. Yeah. 16 years is a long time. I have friends in the consulting business that can't keep a client for 16 minutes, Randy. Well, that, that's one of the things we're very fortunate with. Uh, you know, we, we actually counted up, Michael, several years ago. Uh, there was something like 70% of our clients uh, have been, and this is since I've been doing this. And that's a long time. All this gray hair is real. Um, the 70 something percent of our clients are repeat and referral business. So that's how we've grown our business. That's how we sustain our business. Um, that's why we continue to do what we do. Congratulations. I saw the counter on your website. You actually talk about not only repeat business, but how many, uh, have you, uh, how many years you've been with people and all that kind of thing. It's right. Right. And, and 16 is about the longest, I think, that I've been with a single client. We've actually, uh, I knew that I'd done something right when the CEO took me to breakfast one morning and said, uh, I, I'm thinking about retiring in January, and I'd like for you to be involved in helping us uh, identify and, and focus on who we select as my replacement. Wowie, wow. Yeah, good for you. So I'm talking to the right guy today. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Well, you're talking to one of the right guys. There's a bunch of right guys out there. I wish if, if, I, had the, if I had the corner on that market, uh, it would, things would be a little different. But, but no, there's a bunch of right guys out there. I want to talk about the, uh, the subject of change in the speaking business. I had the great pleasure of, uh, of uh, watching your toothpaste story as it's billed on YouTube. We can let our viewers find it. And... I was uh, taken by how professional this story, and you can tell when a story is crafted, you can tell when a story is rehearsed. In our business, of course, we call them signature stories. Uh, when I watch speakers today, Randy, I don't see that level of rehearsal. I don't see the care uh, in curating the story. Everything's so casual. I think that we used to have casual Friday, now we have casual every day. Do you sense that the business is changing a bit where young speakers coming up, they they don't like to practice and they like to freeform it. You get a sense of that? Well, well, I do. And I think you can blame part of it on TED Talks. Oh. Um, because TED Talks basically, I mean, I think you can blame it on a number of things. But one of the things is a TED Talk has actually, even though they're very crafted mm -hmm. 
And if you talk to people who speak in the TED marketplace, they'll tell you that, you know, they practice a great deal, but they don't, you know, if, if you go, if you want to get selected for a TED talk, one of the things that my experience has told me from all the people that I've spoken with is whatever you do, don't tell them you're a professional speaker. Oh, why is that? Because they don't want that level of polish and, and they want it to feel like a conversation. Ah. And so if you look at a lot of folks today that are coming into the marketplace, they're coming in, they've either been on a TED conference, uh, they've watched TED videos, uh, they have that uh, sort of free form feel. Uh, if you look at some of the people, and some of my very favorite people in the marketplace today don't really sound that polished. Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, doesn't sound uh, polished at all. You can't come up with that many F words uh, in a polished presentation. But the, the, the market has changed a little bit, and, um, and there, but there's still a place for that polished, that polished signature speech story that you know is going to elicit the response every single time. Yeah, so you make a great point. Let's dig a little bit deeper. So when, when I talk about rehearsal, um, I think we would both agree that it's really important for any speaker, whether they're casual or formal, to be authentic. And I think the trick is that um, is to be rehearsed without seeming rehearsed. Some one of my friends that has done TED Talks said you, that most people are surprised to know that there's actually quite a bit of rehearsal, like dress rehearsal, with TED for lighting and camera purposes, timing right. purposes. I found out recently, to my horror, that Terry Gross, uh, Terry Gross's program on Fresh uh, Fresh Air on NPR, is highly edited. And that crushed me, Randy, because I thought, she was, <laughs> I thought she was that good, you know, that we were just getting the interview as it, as it rolled off her tongue. Not so. So it turns out, like in most uh, fine, finely crafted professions, uh, the, the, the people that do it well make it look easy, but there's a, it's like those ducks swimming with their legs, under, you know, paddling really hard under the water. We're putting a lot of work into it to be natural and to be authentic. Absolutely. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, one of the things that I hope that comes across in my, uh, in the toothpaste story and all my presentations is, you know, I know what I'm going to say, but I want it to feel like it's the first time that I've said it. You bet. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people have rebelled in the speaking industry uh, over the last several years is there was there was a feeling that certain speakers were always canned, that motivational speakers were canned. It's the same speech every time, mm. and and so you want it to feel like it's uh, you want it to feel like it's the first time that you said it, even though it's not. That's a real key to the story, the storytelling today. You bet, and and it's not just. Uh, I think sometimes we just fall to our own human nature. You know, if you do something a thousand times, it's hard to seem like you're telling it for the first time. Kenny Rogers has announced his retirement. Did you hear? I did. And I saw some clips of that last show. Okay. So, you know, you can't sing the gambler a thousand times and make it sound like you did on the recording. Eventually you're going to start cheating. Your heart's not in it. You're not feeling good on a particular night. You're 20 years on, whatever. It is not easy to replicate. And, you know, I, here's it. Let's, let's cross pollinate to another industry. I work a bit like a comedian. Maybe you do too. I work in bits. So if I'm telling a bit or a joke, and of course we, we always say in the speaking business, if you're listening at home, 
Never tell a joke. Always tell a funny story. Because <laughs> no, you can't tell a joke. It just uh, it, jokes have their place, right? That's right. And well, for me, when I say I'm going to tell you a joke, it creates all kinds of pressure, right? The uh, I have to be funny now. The audience has to laugh. If I'm not funny, that's going to be a fake laugh, which is an artificial relationship. So there's all this other noise associated with it. But when I work in bits, like a comedian, you think about a comedian that goes on tour and does the same. Uh, 20 minutes every talk show or 40 minutes in a, in a club, he's telling the same jokes, maybe a, a little bit of new material every night, but he's got to tell those jokes as if he's telling it for the first time. And if he laughs at his own jokes, it's got to be sincere. It's got to be authentic. You do. And, and I think um, that's the hard part in the speaking industry. Everyone talks about authenticity. Um, I was on a panel of speakers a few years back and I, everyone looked at me like I had three heads um, because the, one of the questions was how, what's the most uh, overused phrase that you hear in the speaking industry? Yeah. And I said that you have to be authentic. Yeah. And people looked at me like, what? And I said, you know, Truthfully, the audience doesn't want you to be authentic in the moment. They want you to be authentic in the very best day of the very first time when it was fresh. They don't want to be. They don't, they don't want you to be authentic in, you know. I got into the hotel at three a.m. this morning, and then I have it seven a.m. sound check. They, you know, they want you to be like on. They want you to be good. Yeah. And, and so is that authentic? Yeah, they want to see your best authentic self. They don't want to see the mixed up hot mess that you are this morning. So That's right. That's right. That's good. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, we're talking with Randy Pennington, and they can find out more about you, Randy, of course, in lots of places online, but most, most specially, I think, at your website, randypennington.com, correct? It's actually penningtongroup.com, but um, yes, but you can find... More things than you'd ever want to know there. Well, I, I certainly enjoy talking with a veteran of the business because your perspective, especially when we talk about change, how many things have, have um, uh, morphed you know, with every decade that goes by. You were probably in the business before, and I don't mean to be overly dramatic here, before the internet was invented. Uh, yeah, I was before the internet. Well, no, not before it was invented, but before everyone certainly had it at their disposal. I remember getting my very first website. Uh, I had one of the very first speaker websites out there in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. We've referenced other industries a bit. Let's talk about music. You said you have a background in music or you something? I, I do. I, well, I'm, a, I'm an old frustrated musician who played, you know, for a while I played in a band at Six Flags and I've done a number of other things. But there's a huge, um, I mean, if you'd ask me at 15 years old, you know, what do you want to be for, when you grow up? I would have said, you know, I'm pretty sure that once uh, John, Paul and George know that I'm out there, they'll fire Ringo and hire me. <laughs> and that didn't and that, happen. No, it didn't happen. I, I guess they never I, they never met me or something. But it turns out, you know, there are a lot of it's like the speaking industry. There are a lot of great people out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had referenced offline the, the the kind of parallel with regard to change that's happened in the music business and in the speaking business. Uh, I too came up through the music business. I was in a band with my brothers. I played bass guitar, not drums. And we opened for acts like Rick Springfield, Corey Hart, Joan Jett. And uh, it was interesting because we had to capture people's attention in 
in about three minutes. And of course, as a musician, you know, that's the average length of a pop song. There's a bit of that going on in the speaking business too, especially with YouTube and especially with TED Talks, this idea that, that you, better, you better rope people. You're from Dallas, right? You better rope the steer pretty quickly <laughs> right? Uh, when you get people's attention. Um, you talked about Gary earlier and his patented technique of the F word. And by the way, you, you must admit, as informal as the guy is, he's captivating. I've never heard the F word used as every part of speech. Noun, verb, adjective, adverb. He gets them all in there, doesn't he? Right, yeah. He ought to do a program on creativity, really, if you think about it. <laughs> and the young people, which I, I think he plays a lot to the 20 and 30-somethings, they love this casual style. Um, What's your take on this, this first impression and getting people to connect, like, say, in the first 15 seconds? Do you have a theory or a, a dogma about this? Well, I mean, I do think that um, the audiences today, first off, they want you to get to it much more quickly than they, you know, they don't want the, hey, you know, thank you for letting me be here and thank all the people on the, you know, that, no, it's very quick. You have to get into it. And, uh, I, you know, I want to be into it with something valuable, a key point, within about the first 60 to 90 seconds. You bet. And I'm aware of this, too, which is why in the interview today, again, for our, our, our friends in the speaking business who are learning and becoming better themselves, you notice at the beginning of this interview, we didn't cover where I am today, where you are today. Um, uh, I didn't talk about your credentials right away. We didn't give your website right away. The important thing is to get into the content, get people engaged, uh, and again, to cross-pollinate to another industry. Do you remember the great Elmore Leonard, the, our, the author from Michigan? He's yes. screenplays, TV shows. He wrote a book one time on writing, and one of his rules was, never open with the weather. And his theory was, there's plenty of time to talk about the weather once you get into the chapter. You don't have to open with it. It was a cloudy, gray day. <laughs> you know, it's just not that interesting. Well, and, and so you think about it, I mean, whether you're crafting a story or crafting a speech, you know, to me, you know, if you're going back to your music days, if you remember when you were putting your set together, you wanted to walk out and grab them, then you would take them up and then you'd sort of let them come down and then you'd bring them back up again and you'd probably let them down a little bit and then you'd be up toward the finish, you know, be, and that's really what you want to think about it to the extent that you can with a speech. I mean, a speech really should take all the emotions uh, that you have, it should grab them, sort of drag them into it, and at the end of it, should throw them out uh, at the end. Sure. And, and, and stories, I mean, a story is just a shorter version of a speech. It's a bit, so to speak, and a bit really ought to do the same thing. You bet. You know, you talk about this, uh, this kind of a roller coaster ride. Uh, again, a music analogy, back in the days when we did recording, there's a thing called the VU meter, and the VU meter starts flat, I don't know if this is going to show up right on television, right. but it goes like this based on how much is happening in the, uh, the volume of the song. Uh, a snare drum is going to really make it pop like this, right? There's a, if you did a recording of every speech that you or I do, there is a, uh, there's a place in the recording where the VU meter just really explodes, and that is probably the biggest laugh or what we call in the business an applause break. It's like the best reward a speaker can get, right? And so... Our, our goal is to try to, it's almost like orchestrating, if you can, in advance, that roller coaster ride. When do you take people down into that thoughtful, pensive moment, the lesson, and when do you bring them back up again and give them the entertainment? 
do you do that when you craft your speeches and your messages? I, I do. I, you know, the, one of the guys that I had the chance to spend a little time with early on in my career, he was, uh, he was one of the legends, one of the original founders in this business of the people who were making it, a guy named Bill Gove. And Bill Gove has since passed away and a uh, number of years back. But Bill, you always had a, uh, had a philosophy. It's make a point, tell a story. Make a point, tell a story. And it's point, story, point, story. Now, if you think about it from a comic world, it's set up, punchline, set up, punchline. And, you know, when you think about from a telling, crafting the, the joke, if you will, the longer the setup, the punchline has to be so much better. That's right. Um, if you have a long setup, you better have a killer punchline. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the same with the speech. I try to think about, you know, what's the point? And so when I actually create the outline of my speech, I, I will look at here are, here's the point. Now, here are the three stories or the two stories or whatever that I can tell about that. And I've ranked them so that I know that if I'm short on time, I, this one, A is better than B and that type of situation. And then I actually go through with looking at every single one. And the story has to be an example that they can relate to. Even though I talk in business audiences, I try to let people know, especially around change, change is difficult uh, for people and it's difficult for companies, but you can learn how to do it better in your company by thinking about how, how change happens in your life. So I tend to cross, uh, cross-pollinate those two things. Uh, because it, it's one of those, everyone is relatable to um, a story about their kid or a story about their spouse or the story about them and their spouse. I mean, it's why I use the toothpaste story that you talked about. Um, it, it's a business situation, but everyone can relate to you and your spouse having an argument about where you squeeze the toothpaste. Personal context. Right, it is, but we, but it's a shared personal context. You bet, you bet. But uh, we could easily make cross pollination the theme of this, right? So now we're cross pollinating business theme in a personal context. Uh, we've borrowed from other industries, the music business. We could borrow from the publishing business. Um, we've borrowed from the stand up comedy business. You mentioned this rhythm that takes place between the between a point and story. I've heard comedians talk about it in terms of what's called a set and a turn. Same basic concept. You set the joke up and then there's a punchline, right? Um, and I, I, that's the first time I've ever heard anybody articulate that the, the longer the setup, the bigger the payload. You didn't say it in exactly those words, but you said the longer you, you take setting something up, you better deliver on the back end. That is a, that is a recipe for genius right there. Uh, I love that. Well, and, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, the, the toothpaste story is a great example. There are about three or four laugh lines, big laugh lines in there. Yeah. Um, but the setup, it's fairly lengthy on the front end. Yeah. And so that, that's one of the things that I had to worry about when I, when I started doing that story. By the way, I started doing that story by accident. I was doing a training session one day. I was looking for... Um, something and I just pulled that one out and people tended to go, well, yeah, that's kind of right. And then from there, it sort of took on a life of its own. So, um, but you know, if I didn't have three or four laughs at the end of that story, it would be, well, it's just another stupid story. 
it's not lost on me that you're from Dallas, home of the great Zig Ziglar. Were you a fan? Uh, I am a fan of Zig. Zig was very nice to me in the early days of my career. Um, he actually spent some time with me and, um, you know, Zig gave me a great piece of advice. Uh, I was fairly early in my career and I said, Zig, uh, here's where I am and uh, what should I do next? And Zig's advice to me is, uh, I'm not the person to ask. Um, and he said, because it's been so long since I've been where you are starting in the world today that it's different for me. And I could tell you what I do, but I don't know that that's what you should do based on where you are. Uh, and I thought that was really, first off, it was very humbling on his part. But, uh, and he wasn't saying to try to brush me off. He was saying it because he said, you know, I, I don't have to go out and, and find meeting planners to, who've ever heard my name before. I don't have to, you know, there's a number of things. I've got a New York Times bestselling book. I have these things. And he said, so, you know, the idea that he gave me is find someone who is about two steps ahead of you, not 10 steps ahead of you. Find someone who's two steps ahead of you in the business and talk to them about what they're doing. Nice. The, uh, the book that Randy's referring to, I think, is Make Change Work, yeah? Yes. And so you want to make sure you, you check it out at uh, penningtongroup.com or find him on Amazon or someplace. We'll close with another Zig anecdote. Zig, of course, is lost to us now. He's gone. But uh, I love this guy. And he was one of the old masters, man. He, he was a craftsman. And one of the things I remember about Zig is that he would tell these long, involved stories. Remember when he would go down to the knee? The one knee. There was a different version of take a knee that we know today. But he would take a knee and he would he – would, uh, mime the water pump. Remember that? Oh, the pump story there. is a legendary story. Oh, yeah. His signature story for sure. But he would be down on his knee for like 20 or 25 minutes and he'd go off on all these little side stories and tangents. I'm talking about this long, long set, this long, long point before he gave you the punchline. Um, and uh, when he finally stood up, he, it, was, it was almost like a, it was for, for sure it was an applause break, often a standing ovation. Uh, because a lot of people were wondering if the guy was ever going to be able to get up again. He was a genius at how he crafted and delivered stories. I miss him a lot. Well, I miss him as well. You know, one of the things that Zig told me um, that I think is very important for people starting in the business today, he said, I gave around 450 free speeches before I ever got paid. And I'll let that one sit there for a second, because most of us go in the business today, we think, okay, I'll give three free, three free speeches, and then I want to get paid. And then I want to get paid big dollars. And then, now, so, but think about it for a second. By the time Zig, uh, uh, speech number 451 was his first paid speech. How good was that speech? Um, I'm betting it was pretty amazing, because... He'd had, he'd had the stage time. And you know, you've come at it from a comic standpoint, certainly the music industry. Um, there's nothing that can substitute for stage time. Nothing. Not rehearsal time, stage time. That's exactly right. Although, uh, let's be clear, we are recommending rehearsal before the stage. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I go back to when I was playing the Six Flags. Um, the group that I was playing with, we spent – Four hours one night, four hours on eight bars of a song. Yeah, wow. To get it right. Yeah. Um, now, on the other hand, we did eight shows a day. Um, 
and we did eight. And by the time we had been there for a month of doing eight shows a day, that show was amazing. That was your 10,000 hours. It, it was in essence that. So, I mean, yes, you have to rehearse, but there's still the spontaneity that comes within. Once you've rehearsed the spontaneity that comes there, uh, it's the same with the speech. I can play with the toothpaste story or any other story that I do because I've done it enough that I don't have to worry about thinking what's, what's next in the story. I can focus on the audience. Beautiful. Randy, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. I hope we get to do this again sometime. It's fun, Michael. Thanks. So if you want to know more about Randy, it's, uh, it's Pennington Group, P-E-N-N-I-N-G-T-O-N-G-R-O-U-P.com. The book is Make Change Work. Randy, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you on the speaking circuit. And uh, thanks for keeping the bar high in our business. In our business. My pleasure, Michael. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you, sir.